Section thirty of Rights of Man by Thomas Paine. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Edward Kirkby, Warwick, England. Part second, Chapter five, Ways and Means of Improving the Condition of Europe. Part two of seven. Knowing my own heart, and feeling myself, as I now do, superior to all the skirmish of party, the inveteracy of interested or mistaken opponents, I answer not to falsehood or abuse, but proceed to the defects of the English government. I begin with charters and corporations. It is a perversion of terms to say that a charter gives rights. It operates by a contrary effect, that of taking rights away rights are inherently in all the inhabitants but charters by annulling those rights in the majority leave the right by exclusion in the hands of a few if charters were constructed so as to express in direct terms that every inhabitant who is not a member of a corporation shall not exercise the right of voting such charters would in the face be charters not of rights but of exclusion the effect is the same under the form they now stand, and the only persons on whom they operate are the persons whom they exclude. Those whose rights are guaranteed, by not being taken away, exercise no other rights than as members of the community they are entitled to without a charter, and therefore all charters have no other than an indirect negative operation. They do not give rights to A but they make a difference in favour of A by taking away the right of B, and consequently are instruments of injustice. But charters and corporations have a more extensive evil effect than what relates merely to elections. They are sources of endless contentions in the places where they exist, and they lessen the common rights of national society. A native of England, under the operation of these charters and corporations, cannot be said to be an Englishman in the full sense of the word. He is not free of the nation, in the same manner that a Frenchman is free of France and an American of America. His rights are circumscribed to the town, and in some cases to the parish of his birth, and all other parts, though in his native land, are to him as a foreign country. To acquire a residence in these, he must undergo a local naturalization by purchase, or he is forbidden or expelled the place. This species of feudality is kept up to aggrandize the corporations at the ruin of towns, and the effect is visible. The generality of corporation towns are in a state of solitary decay, and prevented from further ruin only by some circumstance in their situation, such as a navigable river or a plentiful surrounding country. As population is one of the chief sources of wealth, for without it land itself has no value, everything which operates to prevent it must lessen the value of property. And as corporations have not only this tendency, but directly this effect, they cannot but be injurious. If any policy were to be followed, instead of that of general freedom, to every person to settle where he choose, as in France or America, it would be more consistent to give encouragement to newcomers than to preclude their admission by exacting premiums from them. The persons most immediately interested in the abolition of corporations are the inhabitants of the towns where corporations are established. 
The instances of Manchester, Birmingham, and Sheffield show, by contrast, the injuries which those Gothic institutions are to property and commerce. A few examples may be found, such as that of London, whose natural and commercial advantage, owing to its situation on the Thames, is capable of bearing up against the political evils of a corporation but in almost all other cases the fatality is too visible to be doubted or denied though the whole nation is not so directly affected by the depression of property in corporation towns as the inhabitants themselves it partakes of the consequence by lessening the value of property the quantity of national commerce is curtailed every man is a customer in proportion to his ability and as all parts of a nation trade with each other whatever affects any of the parts must necessarily communicate to the whole as one of the houses of the english parliament is in a great measure made up of elections from these corporations and as it is unnatural that a pure stream should flow from a foul fountain its vices are but a continuation of the vices of its origin a man of moral honour and good political principles cannot submit to the mean drudgery and disgraceful arts by which such elections are carried. To be a successful candidate, he must be destitute of the qualities that constitute a just legislator, and being thus disciplined to corruption by the mode of entering into Parliament, it is not to be expected that the representative should be better than the man. Mr. Burke, in speaking of the English representation, has advanced as bold a challenge as ever was given in the days of chivalry. Our representation, says he, quote, has been found perfectly adequate to all the purposes for which a representation of the people can be desired or devised, unquote. I defy, continues he, quote, the enemies of our constitution to show the contrary, unquote. This declaration from a man who has been in constant opposition to all the measures of Parliament the whole of his political life, a year or two excepted, is most extraordinary, and comparing him with himself admits of no other alternative than that he acted against his judgment as a member, or has declared contrary to it as an author but it is not in the representation only that the defects lie and therefore i proceed in the next place to the aristocracy what is called the house of peers is constituted on a ground very similar to that against which there is no law in other cases it amounts to a combination of persons in one common interest no better reason can be given why a house of legislation should be composed entirely of men whose occupation consists in letting landed property than why it should be composed of those who hire or of brewers or bakers or any other separate class of men mr burke calls this house quote, the great ground and pillar of security to the landed interest unquote. let us examine this idea what pillar of security does the landed interest require more than any other interest in the state or what right has it to a distinct and separate representation from the general interest of a nation the only use to be made of this power and which it always has made is to ward off taxes from itself and throw the burthen upon those articles of consumption by which itself would be least affected 
that this has been the consequence and will always be the consequence of constructing governments on combinations is evident with respect to england from the history of its taxes notwithstanding taxes have increased and multiplied upon every article of common consumption the land tax which more particularly affects this pillar has diminished in seventeen seventy eight the amount of land tax was one million nine hundred and fifty thousand pounds which is half a million less than it produced almost a hundred years ago notwithstanding the rentals are in many instances doubled since that period before the coming of the hanoverians the taxes were divided in nearly equal proportions between the land and articles of consumption the land bearing rather the largest share but since that era nearly thirteen millions annually of new taxes have been thrown upon consumption the consequence of which has been a constant increase in the number and wretchedness of the poor and in the amount of the poor rates yet here again the burthen does not fall in equal proportions on the aristocracy with the rest of the community their residences whether in town or country are not mixed with the habitations of the poor they live apart from distress and the expense of relieving it it is in manufacturing towns and labouring villages that those burthens press the heaviest in many of which it is one class of poor supporting another several of the most heavy and productive taxes are so contrived as to give an exemption to this pillar thus standing in its own defence the tax upon beer brewed for sale does not affect the aristocracy who brew their own beer free from this duty it falls only on those who have not conveniency or ability to brew and who must purchase it in small quantities but what will mankind think of the justice of taxation when they know that this tax alone from which the aristocracy are from circumstances exempt is nearly equal to the whole of the land tax being in the year seventeen eighty eight and it is not less now one million six hundred and sixty six thousand one hundred and fifty two pounds and with its proportion of the taxes on malt and hops it exceeds it that a single article thus partially consumed and that chiefly by the working part should be subject to a tax equal to that on the whole rental of a nation is perhaps a fact not to be paralleled in the histories of revenues this is one of the circumstances resulting from a house of legislation composed on the ground of a combination of common interest for whatever their separate politics as to parties may be in this they are united whether a combination acts to raise the price of any article for sale or rate of wages or whether it acts to throw taxes from itself upon another class of the community the principle and the effect are the same and if the one be illegal it will be difficult to show that the other ought to exist it is no use to say that taxes are first proposed in the house of commons for as the other house has always a negative it can always defend itself and it would be ridiculous to suppose that its acquiescence in the measures to be proposed were not understood beforehand 
besides which it has obtained so much influence by borough traffic and so many of its relations and connections are distributed on both sides the commons as to give it besides an absolute negative in one house a preponderancy in the other in all matters of common concern it is difficult to discover what is meant by the landed interest if it does not mean a combination of aristocratical landholders opposing their own pecuniary interest to that of the farmer and every branch of trade commerce and manufacture in all other respects it is the only interest that needs no partial protection it enjoys the general protection of the world every individual high or low is interested in the fruits of the earth men women and children of all ages and degrees will turn out to assist the farmer rather than a harvest should not be got in and they will not act thus by any other property it is the only one for which the common prayer of mankind is put up and the only one that can never fail from the want of means it is the interest not of the policy but of the existence of man and when it ceases he must cease to be no other interest in a nation stands on the same united support commerce manufactures arts sciences and everything else compared with this are supported but in parts their prosperity or their decay has not the same universal influence when the valleys laugh and sing it is not the farmer only but all creation that rejoice it is a prosperity that excludes all envy and this cannot be said of anything else why then does mr burke talk of his house of peers as the pillar of the landed interest were that pillar to sink into the earth the same landed property would continue and the same ploughing sowing and reaping would go on the aristocracy are not the farmers who work the land and raise the produce but are the mere consumers of the rent and when compared with the active world are the drones a seraglio of males who neither collect the honey nor form the hive but exist only for lazy enjoyment mr burke in his first essay called aristocracy quote, the corinthian capital of polished society unquote towards completing the figure he has now added the pillar but still the base is wanting and whenever a nation choose to act as samson not blind but bold down will go the temple of dagon the lords and the philistines end of part second chapter five ways and means of improving the condition of europe part two of seven read by edward kirkby warwick england